Good morning. You doing good? Staying dry? Okay, yeah, no. <laughs> it's a mixed bag. We really know how to pick Biker Sunday, don't we? <sighs> I love the rain. Honestly, I do, because we don't get enough of it in Colorado. But we always pick the first weekend of June. I think we're going to move it uh, starting next year, maybe to the, the first Sunday before July 4th or something like that, because we have a little less chance of rain. But anyway, uh, stick around if you've never been to Biker Sunday. It's at 11.30 today. Going to have a great time. So I doubt very many guys will ride in, or gals, but uh, a lot of them will still come. We have Christian Motorcycle Association called CMA. They've invited all the clubs in northern Colorado to join us. Uh, the blessing of the bikes. We're going to actually invite the bikes to come in under the canopies on the west and east side. And and uh, still try to do some of the stuff we do. But if you were planning on going to the ride to Estes Park today, we've canceled that or postponed it, I should say, until uh, a later date just because it's a little... I don't... Well, I, I, I've ridden a lot most all my life, but I don't mind hitting rain when I'm on a ride at all. But like to start out in the rain and then just ride all day in the rain and just know it's going to be in the rain? Nah. <laughs> I'll pass. Uh, but keep it in your prayers. If you walk out of here today and at 11.30, between 11.30 and 12.30, if the thought comes to you, uh, because we always have some amazing stories that happen on Biker Sunday. And so just say a prayer to God that he'll help us and open the hearts. Uh, completely different music, completely different message. And we're just praying to get in, in, inside the heart. Some of my funniest stories uh, some of the funniest stories of Timurine have happened on Biker Sunday. One of my favorites is uh, a couple in our church who invited their mom to come out for a couple weeks in the summer, and she came out, and they got stuck in Wyoming uh, with a road construction situation. They were going to meet here at church. Well, they didn't know it was Biker Sunday, and they decided to come to the 1130 service, so 87-year-old mom shows up, uh, Biker Sunday, and comes in, sits down. <laughs> they, they got here right at the end of church and realized it was Microsoft. They said, Mom, how'd you do? And she said, well, I like all these motorcycles. <laughs> Not what I was expecting. But uh, so it's, it's really a fun, a fun time. So we have a lot of fun. We call this our living room at Timberline because we talk about real life in here. And today, we really have a challenging message to consider. You know, sometimes as we've been going through verse by verse, which is good for, it's good for a church, it's good for pastors to do that because you can't skip anything. You can't skip like the hard teachings, the challenging teachings. They kind of create, you can kind of overlook them if you always just do topical. But when you just go straight through verse by verse, you land on some of these places where you go, man, I'm not sure I would choose to preach on that. But because we're going and this is our living room, this is not a message where I'm trying to inspire you to run outside and go, I'm going to be like so-and-so. I'm going to change the world for Jesus. Those are great messages, and I like them. But this message today is probably more of a contemplative message. I want to invite you to lean in a little bit with your mind, your heart, and ask some harder questions about your thought patterns, why you think the way you do, and the decisions you make and why you make them. Because every day you make hundreds of decisions. Did you know that? We, we've simply called this the choices we make. 
And I've made choices in my life that I'm happy I made, and I've made some that I'm not so happy about. And I want to just open this up and talk about it. When you got up this morning, you made a decision. Maybe what time to get up. Maybe if you ate breakfast, or if you ate breakfast, or what you ate for breakfast, or you wish you had something for breakfast. (laughs) Just take a moment and look over across somewhere in your aisle or behind you, and look at the shoes that that person is wearing. Go ahead, just look at them. They actually decided to buy those. <laughs> they paid for those. Now you, you may say, I would never wear those. But they decided to buy them and to wear them. Decisions are different for all of us. And sometimes that's okay. Some decisions are about preference. They're not holy decisions. But some decisions are holy decisions, right from wrong, truth decisions. It means more than how you're gonna drive. It means more than the route you're gonna take, what you spend money on, what your political opinions are. All of these things are decisions that we have to make, and every decision that you make in your life has a consequence. That might be a wonderful consequence, or, (laughs) right? It might be a consequence that I really don't want to face. But this story in Mark chapter 6 is a powerful story. Now, let let me switch it. Let me tell you the story. How many of you have heard the name John the Baptist? Okay, a lot of you have. If you haven't been around here long, you're not a church person, I'm going to explain it as we go. But some of you grew up knowing about John the Baptist. I remember growing up in a Pentecostal church with my family. It was Assemblies of God. And I came home one day and I said, Mom, how come we're not Baptists? Because John was Baptist. And she said, no, 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 no. John's name was John, but he baptized people, so he sort of got the nickname John the Baptist. And so so that was always a, a fun moment. My sister Tammy actually came home one day and said, Mom, I'd like to try smoking. And my mom said, Honey, we, 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 don't, we don't smoke. We, you know, we, we just decided not to do that. And she said, Well, my friend smokes. My friend's dad smokes. And my mom said, Well, that's his choice, but you know, we, we don't smoke. She said, Okay, then I'm going to be Baptist because I'm going to smoke. And he's Baptist and he smokes. that's always so funny I always thought that was so funny so whether you smoke or not uh, whether you're Baptist or not you make decisions every day right I love the thought when people ask me (coughs) excuse me I've been smoking too much I'm kidding do you think smoking will keep you from heaven I always say no Uh, I think it'll get you there before you're supposed to be there but that's about it right John the Baptist was uh, a messenger of God. He's the one who baptized Jesus. Remember some of his great statements, you know, behold the man. I'm not even worthy to to do what I'm about to do. And, And then he ends up going to prison. Does anybody remember why he went to prison? This is not a, a test to make you feel good or bad about yourself. It's just, it's part of the story. So I want to just see where you're at. How many of you know why he ended up in prison? Just, just wave at me. Okay. He ended up in prison, for those of you that don't know, because of a woman who didn't like him. 
Her name was Herodias. And she was married to Herod Antipas. Now, I promise not to make this too complicated. This is not Herod the Great who was the king when Jesus was born, all that. This is Herod Antipas who actually wasn't the king. He was more like a governor, but he wanted to be a king. And he sort of entitled himself as the king. So he's referred to as a king, but if you look back in history, Jeff Lucas and I were talking about that this week, and I hadn't even realized that, and he pointed out. He's just so smart, that Lucas, you know? You gotta watch him. But, but anyway, this idea that, that Herod married Philip's wife. Philip was his brother. And Herod decided he liked Herodias, and so he married Herodias, and she ceased being Philip's wife. And John the Baptist called him out, said, this is not of God. God can't bless you. You can't marry your brother's wife. And so Herodias didn't like that because he was speaking this publicly. So Herodias said to Herod, you have the power, throw him in prison. So he did. So he went to prison for what he said, which was the truth, and the truth got him thrown in jail. It would be later on at the party that we we're gonna read about where her daughter also named Herodias. Mom is Herodias, daughter is Herodias, does a dance for the king, and the king says, I will give you anything you want. And she goes to her mom and says, what should I ask for? And mom says, what? The head of John the Baptist on a platter. Wow. This is like a series, you know? Netflix or something. This is crazy how all this happened, but this is a, a true story. So let's look at, at how this story unfolds and what happens in Mark 6, verse 14. The number one thing in your outline out of six quick points we're gonna look at is just the conscience. The conscience. How many of you have one? I, I hope you do. The conscience is a powerful tool. Now, it can, it can get you. I grew up really sensitive as a boy. My conscience was on overdrive constantly. I was, you know, feeling like I was doing something wrong, and I was, if I was guilty, I was really guilty. I actually remember one time my mom had made some cookies, and they were out on the counter, and it was like 9 o'clock at night, and everyone was nestling in for bed, and I remember going in the kitchen and seeing those cookies and thinking, thank you, God. I snagged a cookie and I ate it and I rearranged the cookies so you couldn't tell. You know, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, and, and about 10 o'clock at night, I'm just laying in bed and I'm, I'm starting to tear up. I'm like nine or something. And I'm just so sad. I'm praying, God, forgive me. Can I throw up that cookie and put it back on the counter? I don't want it. Anymore. I went in and got my mom up and I said, Mom, I ate a cookie. <laughs> I'm feeling so guilty. She said, oh, son, it's okay, I made those cookies for the family. So I said, really? <laughs> so I went and got another one. I didn't feel so guilty on that one. <laughs> so Herod Antipas, I've explained who this Herod is, and then Mark does this quote-unquote thing. Herod Antipas, the king, the so-called self-proclaimed king, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead because Herod had already had him killed. This is why he can do such miracles. Others said, he is the prophet Elijah. Others said, 
he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. But when Herod heard about Jesus and then all the things he was doing and stuff, he said, John, the man I beheaded has come back from the dead. Who's that talking to him? Fear, his conscience. He knew that he had had John beheaded and now his mind is playing games with him and playing tricks on him, but it was real. He was guilty. You know, you might think you get away with something, but your conscience is like the hound of heaven, it's been called, where God continues to knock on the door of your heart. Now I will tell you, we all have done things that bring shame into our lives. Can God forgive you for the bad stuff you've done in your life? Amen, aren't you glad he can? Matter of fact, he can forgive you and cleanse you and cast that sin as far as the east is from the west, never to remember it again when it's confessed and it's owned. But that's not the case with Herod. He's guilty. He's never come clean about this. He knew what he did was wrong. And this story of the beheading and this moment, and now Herod is living with himself and he's feeling, he's struggling in his conscience. What do you think about our conscience? How do you think yours is doing? Is it a good is it a good conscience for you? Are you willing to step into those things when you have been wrong, you haven't done it right, you've taken something that, that doesn't belong to you? Whatever it is, let your conscience work for you under the leading of the Holy Spirit. The problem with sin, it is that it'll always come back to haunt us until it's dealt with, with God. Because he's the only one who can cleanse and forgive that sin. Number two, the story itself. Let's dive into this story. So that first statement was kind of like, okay, that happened, that's the story. Now it's coming back and Mark is telling us what happened. Verse 17. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to who? There she is. So the only reason he arrested John was because Herodias wanted him arrested. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her, and John the Baptist had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. Very important note here. She was looking constantly for an opportunity to get even with John the Baptist for saying the truth. Even though it was the truth, even though it was a message from God, she didn't like it, she didn't want it. Can you believe that people in our culture would actually refuse to believe the truth? <laughs> you ever had someone, oh, just be honest with me. Really? <laughs> and so you are, and they go, okay, don't be so honest with me. We're in a culture where it's hard to tell the truth, especially the Bible truth. You guys, it's, it's not gonna get easier. When you think about all these gender issues that we're dealing with, sexuality, immorality, what the Bible teaches about this stuff is way, way, way different than our culture is trying to tell us. And to even 
to even attempt to stand on a truth line that Scripture gives us is going to cause people to hate you, even when you don't hate them back. It's a tough situation that we're in. But John did not compromise his message to Herod because he was speaking the truth. I don't think he was trying to be mean about it. He was just speaking the truth. And it's kind of like in our lives, if we're not careful, one lie leads to another. One assumption leads to another. Herodias did not like these statements from John the Baptist about their marriage arrangement. She was constantly looking for a way to destroy John. So here's here's the question I have for you. And I really want you to, this is the thinking, one of those thinking moments. Here it is. How do you treat people who attempt to hold you accountable? Are you thankful? That's all John the Baptist was trying to do. You know, when the boss says, hey, you're you're late a lot, let's let's work on that. Do you resent the boss or do you say, he's right, she's right, I need to be on time. This is part of my work, it's part of my testimony. Uh, Or how about an employee that comes to you as the boss and says, you know what, you're not really living the standards that you're asking us to live with. Well, you want to get fired? Is that your response? (laughs) Or can you receive accountability from someone that's not in the pecking order who lives above you in that chain? It's it's powerful. There's, There's kids who can make statements and have observations that might be a correction for you. I was talking with a couple not too long ago when the wife said to the husband, um, should you really have another drink? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Really? Remember last time? You know, how do you do? Do you just get angry and, and lock up? Or are you willing to receive accountability from a friend, uh, your spouse, or authority? I was driving down Riverside Avenue. You know how it curves around right back there from LeMay down over here to Prospect? And, and I, was in, I was in a great mood. Bonnie and I, were, we were in her car. I was driving, and, and we were talking about something we were going to pick up. We were very excited about it. It was like a, a furniture thing or something for our house. It was, I wasn't paying attention at all to my speed. And I was in a naughty car. It was in her car. And this car does not know the speed limit. <laughs> and the speed limit right there is 35, and I was going 50. And the reason I know that, I wasn't trying to go fast. I was just driving. And um, no one was even around. And I looked up and I saw a motorcycle cop parked over there with one of those radar things pointed right at me. And that's when I looked down and saw that my speedometer said 50, 50, 50, 50. Idiot, idiot, idiot. (laughs) I'm like, oh, man. I just started pulling over. You know, he, he circled. We pulled into the first parking lot. I had my driver's license registration. I'm like, Dude, I'm sorry. I was speeding. I wasn't even paying attention. I know I was speeding. He said, how fast were you going? I said, 50. He said, you're right. Do you know the speed limit? 35. You're right, Pastor Derry. I said, okay. I said, give me a ticket. I deserve one. I get it. But he did reduce it. He did reduce it. So I was very happy about that. But that's accountability. Did I, did I walk away from that and say, oh, these stupid police officers, they don't give you a break, they don't give you a chance. I was speeding. We have trouble in our world when it's us, it's on us, and we need to say, that's not someone else's fault. Somebody say amen. amen. Own it. Herod wouldn't own it. Herodias wouldn't own it. Will you own it? 
How are you going to know the weaknesses of your life if there's not accountability built into your life? We might not like accountability, but we need it. It's part of the favor of God. It's part of the joy of God is living in the boundaries that he has set for us to live. And that leads us to the third thing, and that's the truth. What is the truth about my life? And this is a sad commentary that Mark makes about John the Baptist and mostly about Herod. It says this in verse 20. It says, for Herod respected John the Baptist. He had great respect for him. And knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. What? He threw him in prison because of Herodias. But you know what that tells me? It tells me that he's just pleasing his wife. It wasn't really in his heart to put John away. And evidently, they had a lot of talks. I think, I think Herod went down to the jail occasionally and had conversations with John. And he probably said, look, my wife hates you. I'm sorry, I'd rather please my wife than please you. You know, all, all these things. I think they had a lot of talks. And he knew that John was a great man. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. What does that mean? What does that mean? Does it mean that possibly there's a hunger for people to at least talk to someone who will tell them the truth? Even when they don't like what they hear and it's awkward, but God might put you in a situation not to just be the blaster of friendship all the time, but to be able to have seeds of truth in someone that desperately needs to hear it? And will I have an open ear when someone brings a seed of truth to me that I need? I might not like it, I'm resisting it, but I sort of like talking to them because I, I think they have an angle that I don't think about. That's what's happening in this story. And I think they're sort of like back pocket friends. And Herod's trying to figure life out, and John the Baptist knows it, and he's being used by God with Herod. But he was disturbed, but he was also engaged. You guys, we need people who will speak the truth to us in love. Don't ever forget that. Fourthly, my foolishness impacts other people. My decisions, and this is, this is a decision that marked history, we're talking about it 2,000 years later because of this story. We're gonna read it right here exactly what happened. And it's foolishness on King Herod's part. Verse 21, Herodias's chance finally came on Herod's birthday. Leaders in this culture, kings and governors, on their birthday they had big parties to celebrate their birthday. They didn't have other people give them a party. They gave the party and they invited all their leaders. So he gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, all the leading citizens of Galilee, then his daughter, also named Herodias after her mom, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Now, before I read the next part, I just want to say, so many of the parties, the culture, and even some of the Greek words here talking about um, the way Herod was pleased and all the guests, it insinuates probably a lot of drinking was going on, a lot of lust, a lot of greed, a lot of very immoral types of things going on at this party, which was pleasing to the flesh. And so, ask me anything. 
that you like, the king said to Herodias, the girl, the daughter, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask up to half of my kingdom. How many would say that's foolish? That was a foolish moment. That's the wine talking. Bad, bad decision. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. Wow. So the girl hurried back to the king and said to him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. There goes the cheese and crackers. Herod was not expecting this. He was sobered very, very quickly. I think it stunned him. I think he had no idea that it was going to come to this. And the reality hit him right between the eyes. And without over-spiritualizing all this, let me just put out a comment for your consideration. Do you think the enemy is after you? Do you think there's a spiritual warfare going on in our world that wants your mind and your body? What do you think? Yeah? Most of you are doing some kind of a head shake thing, because I, I believe it. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a guy that likes to look for the devil everywhere and demons and all of that, but I, I, I'm telling you, I do believe we, we fight spiritual battles every day, and the, the flesh and the spirit are at war in my mind. And I've got to see this in this story. I have to pay attention to that. And the enemy is waiting, 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 waiting. Knows you, watches you, pays attention to your patterns, your weaknesses, the statements that come out of your mouth, your thinking, what you do in private. My, my dad boxed. He was a boxer in, in high school and in the military. And and he, when I was, he died when I was like 14, so we didn't have a, a grow-up moment with this. But when I was even like 9 or 10, I remember him buying his boxing gloves. And obviously, he never boxed with me. But he would, we would line up, and he would, he would show me the proper way to stand, and I'm right-handed, and, and how to step in and how to use that left jab. And the whole point of the left jab in his teaching of me was to get the guard to come down eventually. They're worried about that left jab, and if you're effective with it, eventually you can throw the big right hook, and that puts them out. But you have to wait. You're constantly watching. You're watching. The left jab is just, it's just pretend. It's watching, watching. Satan has thousands of left jabs, thousands, waiting for the right hook, and this was it. This was it for John the Baptist, and it took him out. And if I think about how patient the enemy is to try to find that weakness in my life and, and bait me along and, and trick me and make me lean in and cause curiosity to lean into temptation, to lean into sinful behavior, it's a trap. You bet it's a trap. You bet it's a trap. And we better know that. And Herod fell into the trap, and I'm telling you, he had regrets and he would have taken it back, but he, he made this promise in front of everybody. 
And that was another really big mistake. I don't want to give away my influence. You have authority. You have power. You have means. Um, Don't sell your vote. Pay attention to what really matters in your life. And then, then we have the reality, number five in your outline. It's a big, it's a big deal here. In verse 26, you see the kind of, oh, it, it deflates his lungs. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said. But because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. In other words, this happened all the time with tax collectors and kings and leaders. If they made a promise in private, they would break it. If it was convenient for them to break it, they would break it and say, I never said that. But there's too many witnesses. Everyone is seeing that he actually said this, so he couldn't refuse her. So immediately he sent the executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. Here you go. Wow. Now, keep in mind, these palaces, the prison was right there. It's down in the dungeon. This happened like in just moments. And I'm, I'm thinking of John the Baptist sitting in the cell, somewhat protected by Herod, and he hears the executioner and the soldiers coming down the stairs, and he sees this big sword. These are trained executioners. That word's not there just to give you a feel. These are people that could use an ax and hit within a sixteenth of an inch of exactly where they wanted in the back of a neck. And I don't think they explained it. I don't think they sat John down and said, Dude, here's what happened. Herod didn't really want to do this, but you know Herodias, she hates you, man. Let me tell you the whole story. You got a minute? Nope. On the chop block, boom, John's dead. Wow. Now this is the moment where just being real, we talk about being real. I don't like this part of the story at all. Like, where's God? John the Baptist is like a hero. Don't you think God would protect him or show up and, you know, send a mighty angel to wipe out the executioner and cut his head off? Then run upstairs and cut Herodias' head off? How many of you would, that's how my movie would end right there. I've got this figured out. It's not how it ended. Some of you are in a situation right now, you don't understand why you're in this situation. God doesn't always give us what we want. And sometimes we feel like we're being punished when really we're not. But I have noticed, and I'm just going to say this, God doesn't seem to be as worried about the death of his family, the death of his kids on this earth near as much as I am. So that sounds kind of harsh. I know. Almost all these disciples were killed for believing in Jesus, all the martyrs that happened in the early, Fox's Book of Martyrs, I mean, you, you guys, have, if you've studied, if you've read, there's so many, and I think, I think it might be, just one of the reasons I have, it might be that God views your life from beginning to eternity. He doesn't view it on earth. That's just like this little piece. But your life is from here all the way forever. So your little space on the earth, oh, that's fine, but 
God's saying of John the Baptist, hey, get ready, he's about to join us. He's done his thing. Wow. Could I live with that perspective? I don't know. It's hard because we fight for every breath. We, we get emotionally involved and we get so attached to everything and we, don't, we want it our way. I just, want, I just want you to believe that God has a bigger way than what we can fully understand. But he's God and you can trust him. You can trust him. This was the reality. I used to wear a bracelet when I was a youth pastor. I wore it for a year. said no regrets on it. And we were trying to get our young people to live with no regrets. I have a few, but it's a short list. And I'm thankful. And I just want to say, make decisions, make choices in your life that will have as few regrets as possible when you reach that stage of life when you're looking back over your life. And if you've made those mistakes, confess them to God and move on. Move on. But here's where it gets tricky, and, and here's what I can learn from this. And this is the last point. The end, which is never the end. <laughs> the end, which is never the end. Here's what I mean by that. Let me just read this sad verse 29. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and they buried it in a tomb. It's so final. His body was buried in a tomb, but we're talking about him 2,000 years later. It's not the end. Legacy lives forever. Your willingness to make good decisions and make good choices, lives forever. That's what legacy is. That's why it matters that I think about, I contemplate, I put care and effort into my decisions, especially the big ones. John should have never died this way. No doubt about it. But there are things to consider. I must pay attention to my little decisions. How can I make good choices? This is what I wanna leave you with today, okay? I, when I was building this sermon, I, I tell you this often, I put things down for me that I have in my personal journal, and, and this is what I put in there, and I decided to add it to this. And so they're not profound, they're just targeted more toward me, but I'm, there's four of them. First of all, when I try to make good decisions, I try to, number one, think about all the options. Just think about all my options. You know, why is it that when you go to buy something, it's on sale now, you have six hours, a TV commercial comes on, you have six hours to buy. This sale ends in six hours. You know, the same ad was on yesterday. <laughs> why is that? Because if you, if, if you get in a hurry, you'll just maybe jump on this, this moment of, of feeling and emotion rather than giving it good thought. Is this something I really need? The second one was go slow and evaluate. Go slow and evaluate. When I purchase something, I want to go slow. I'm not talking about a light bulb. I just go buy one, okay? But I'm talking about major purchases in our life that affect Bonnie, and that's the, next, that's the next one. Seek counsel. Seek the counsel of trusted friends. My wife is my best friend, so I involve her. What, should we buy this car? Should we move? Should we do this? This is a big decision for us, and we speak into it, take our time. And then the last one is pray earnestly for the leading of God. Will I pray earnestly? Do you think Herod did all four of those? No. 
He just stood up on a drunken stupor moved by lust and greed and to show off his power. I'm so blessed and happy by this that I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you half the kingdom if you want it, whatever you want. The head of John the Baptist, oh boy. Wasn't thinking about that one. I wanna pray over you for two things. And some of you could raise your hand to both. The first one is those of you that are in the middle of making a big decision, a move somewhere, a career change, a college for some of you young people. It's a big decision, it might shape your life. And I want God to speak into that decision for you today. I want him to bring peace to you. The second one is for those of you who have the John the Baptist clothes on today. Someone else screwed up your life Someone else broke a vow that they made to you. They spent your money or they stole it. You're the victim. And, and there's many of you in this room who have been robbed. And you're in a place where you have to make a decision. Am I gonna live angry the rest of my life? Because when you hold a grudge, when you hold a grudge, the only thing you care about is getting even and you lose your tomorrow. You lose your next week. You lose your next month. You lose your next year and you lose the rest of your life. Don't do it. Bow your heads with me, would you? Lord, I start with those right now who absolutely are making a big decision with their life. Maybe it's as a couple, maybe it's as a single, about their kids, their family, their parents. If, if that's you right now and you know you're in decision-making mode, just wave your hand at me right now, please. You can put them right back down, thank you. Lord, that's us. We're making a decision, we need your help. Guide us, lead us. Help us to slow down and comp contemplate this. Nothing rushed, nothing hurried. We are weighing all the options here. And give us your grace and your wisdom and open the door that works. Open the door that works and let us walk through that door and keep the doors locked that don't work and keep us from those mistakes. Now I wanna shift and I want you to join me to pray for people who have been beat up and wounded by harsh words or actions and someone who has messed up your life. Wave at me, if that's you, wave at me. You're living with this, good. Lord, I just ask you to bring healing, to bring grace. Their pain may never go away. They always know that they've been ripped off, but the truth is they still have a future. They still have tomorrow. Don't let them waste their energy holding a grudge. Move them beyond that today with a miracle today in their heart, in the name of Jesus. Today, bring deliverance to that. Bring deliverance right now and let them see their future. Let them know you're pained with them for the pain they have in their heart, but you're taking them somewhere different. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, you guys. I told the deacon team the other night at our meeting, I said, I feel like my whole life and our life as leaders at Timberline has been a series of seeing like 10 doors in front of us, and I'm a doorknob checker. And I just walk along and check the, check the locks, and they're all, they all seem to be locked, and then all of a sudden it's like, Whoa. And I poke around in there, and you know what I usually see? 10 more doors with doorknobs. And I start checking. That's how we've ended up on this land. That's how we've ended up with buildings. That's how we've ended up with ministries. It's how, why? We're just checking the knobs. God, are you opening the door? But here's the thing, never
break down the door. It's there for a reason. Man, I feel another sermon coming on. You guys ready? We just, just stop right here. <laughs> hey, let's sing this great song. Stand with me. Come on, let it ring. I love the words. Lift it up. Declare it. When he shall come. Come on. With trumpet sound. There's another life ahead of this one. thank you that you take us not to the storm but through the storm weak made strong may we live today in the strength of a mighty God who has redeemed us who loves us who speaks the truth to us comfort my brothers and sisters be with them in the reality of their lives in the hardships in the challenges in the storms every day remind them that you are with them. In Jesus' mighty name I pray it. Amen. I love you guys. I'm proud of you. I mean it. Our prayer team is going to come up here, and they're going to pray for you. Don't leave too soon if you, want, if you need prayer. Otherwise, um, God bless you. Thank you for being Timberline, for giving through Timberline. Let love live. Say it with me. Ready? Let love live. <laughs> God bless you. Have a great weekend. Stay dry.